0: Welcome to the Fit Sports Football Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony John Jr. If this is your first time here on the podcast, welcome. Glad to have you here. If it's not your first time, welcome back. And today, guys, again, continuing on this, you know, kind of like tour of just having guests on the podcast, talking about, you know, the Flores firing head coaching candidacies and um, the 2021-2022 seasons overall. Um, I had a person on the podcast who I haven't had in a while. He was one of the first guests I ever had on this podcast, if you remember way back when. He's a guy that I talk to a lot, uh, a guy I respect, a guy that I get along with really well. Um, he's a good friend, and we had a really good conversation. I had Smart Guy on the podcast. Uh, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you definitely have to go do it. Again, his uh, name is Smart Guy. Um, he's just a phenomenal person. He has great insight on the Dolphins. He gives a lot of statistics uh, to help kind of process, you know, what's really going on with the team. Um, and I had him on the podcast just to talk about, you know, the, the, the season, the coaching change that we are making, firing Flores. Who he wants to see as a head coach. And we actually talked a lot about Tua on this podcast, too. Uh more, more than I expected to. Uh, but I think we had a really healthy, good conversation about Tua's uh second year as a quarterback and what we expect moving forward. So I think you're gonna really like this episode. I'm excited for you to listen to it. So without further ado, I'll shut up. And here is my discussion with Smart Guy all right guys we are joined by smart guy smart guy it's so good to have you back on the podcast haven't had you on in a while how are you
1: i'm doing pretty well man seems yeah. like things have changed a little bit since the last time i was on.
0: Oh, things did i i personally just did not think that i i wanted to have you on the podcast i, I think we talked about it maybe like a week or two ago but i certainly did not think It would be in these circumstances um (laughs) that i would have that 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 this is what we'd be talking about and focusing a majority of our discussion around you know coaches head coaching candidates it seems like what's it been i think we're on our like seventh coach in the last like 14 i I don't know some crazy number but in the last since i've been a fan i think this will be the seventh head coach which is just Mm. ridiculous i mean but whatever We'll, we'll we'll get into that but uh that's a lot I, it is a lot. It is a lot. Uh, I became a fan. I don't know. You would think that if my first year as a fan was the year we went one in 15, I would have stopped being a fan. Like that was like God's way of letting me know, like, Hey, maybe this isn't the alley you want to go down, but I decided to stick it out. And uh, here we are.
1: So Here's a funny thing about the coaches. Okay. You realize that the Miami dolphins have had 13 total head coaches, but since 2000 you've had 10 man 10 of your 13 head coaches have come since 2000 if
0: if 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 people want to know i i would i would argue like i know and we'll get into like the the coaches and stuff like that but i would argue i know a lot of people talk about a franchise quarterback and that has been a big issue the fact that we haven't had one but i think the instability of this franchise and their their inability to find a head coach has crippled them just as much because you know like in the NFL like you have to we can argue how much a head coach matters but you have to have stability you have to have a good head coach and you know I would argue that that's been one of the biggest weak points and one of the most crippling parts of this franchise just as much as like finding a franchise quarterback.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So let's get into it. Um, Obviously, Brian Flores gets the boot after three seasons. Um, He goes 24 and 25 in those three seasons. First season being the rebuild quote unquote year. Second season goes 10 and six, I think. I don't think there's one person that said that they didn't exceed expectations. No one in their right mind thought they would do that. I believe I had you on the podcast in the offseason, And you were one of those people who were like, hey, let's pump the brakes. I see this team eight and nine, nine and eight. I think you said at best, I don't want to quote you because that might not be right. But you were one of those people I remember that was like, hey, let's pump the brakes on this team. And midway during the season, when we were like one and seven, I remember reaching out to you. And I think you had said just something about like, I-, I talked about how the offense was so lackluster, but the defense is really good. And you were one of those people where you were like, I, I don't just, I don't see it from the defense. Like I- I'm-, I'm not a believer in Flores's scheme and his ability to build this team. And before I pass it off to you, cause I am very curious to hear your take on this. Um, people I think are focusing too much on when it comes to Flores, like, why did he get fired because of wins and losses or, you know, the whole Tua debate of he didn't like Tua or he didn't want Tua. And I think the reality of it is like, just let's, let's stop doing the hypothetical game about stories and rumors. Let's just talk about the reality is this guy um, had a worse season in 2021 than 2020, right? Even though it was a winning season, he technically digressed in his sec in his third year from his second year. He had, I count six offensive coordinators because I consider Charlie Fry a coordinator. He just didn't call plays, but he was just as involved in the playmaking process. He, he had six, excuse me, six offensive coordinators, couldn't figure it out. His offensive lines were just, I mean, it's hard to get worse from what the Dolphins have had in years past. This past offensive line that we had might've been the worst ever. I mean, it was just abysmal. And I know you hated it because you're huge on offensive line. Um, So I think when you look at the reality of the type of coach he was behind the scenes, but more so like his inability to create a good offensive staff, his inability to figure out the offense in general, not just quarterback, but just like in general, everything on the offense. I think that's what we start need to focusing more of our attention on that, like, in my opinion, he wasn't the long-term coach regardless. Whether you kept him for a year or not, like it was alarming that you as a head coach could not figure out the offensive side of the football. You couldn't figure out coaches all around three years straight. That That was alarming to me, and I, I think it was to you too. So with that, what are your thoughts on Brian Flores being fired and what led up to it?
1: No. Yeah, I predicted last season you're going into the season eight to nine wins. Um, At one and seven, I I was thinking, well, I might have overshot that a bit. Um, But it ended up in the grand scheme of things about where I thought. I just thought coming into a season when you had, where we knew, you know, preseason that Jesse Davis and and Austin Jackson were going to be starters, that you were going to struggle mightily. And, you know, no true addition at, at running back, Um, So I felt they were going to struggle. And when it comes to, like, defense, I don't necessarily think that this defense is fantastic. I think the defense is fantastic when Brian Flores is calling the plays. I think this defense is built more around scheme than it is just guys that just go out there and dominate. There are the few exceptions, okay? Like, you know, X could do well in, in a lot of systems. Um, But I think it's more scheme-based, and I think, you know, when Flores is calling the plays, they're phenomenal. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm actually sort of just blown away and truly shocked that they fired Flores. Um, And it's just my opinion from an X's and O's and coaching standpoint. He was a really good coach. And I will pause there. Are there the mistakes, and can you point out this or that, A hundred percent you can. Right. But you can point that out on any coach where my issue with Flores is, is, and look, I take all these reports that come out like the PED stuff. I don't believe none of that. Okay. But here's my thing. It's not a secret and it's never been a secret that Flores is a difficult guy to talk to. Okay. I mean, that has not ever been a secret. I mean, you can see it at the press conferences. It has been reported since his first year, second year, and this year. Um, so, my issue is is his just overall stubbornness, and you know his way the you know or the highway, and his because of his stubbornness is he he doesn't like change. I mean, weeks one through seven, I mean Flores wasn't even calling plays on defense, and look how atrocious they were. And, and then you started seeing him calling plays. I mean, and can literally visibly see it on the sidelines. You know, weeks eight through eighteen, and look at the change. Uh, I mean, it's it's night and day. Why did it take to week eight before you started doing this? Right. You could talk about the Jesse Davis. You know, the last week of the season, he gets benched. Okay, why did you know? Why wasn't that done earlier? Those are things that point to the stubbornness. And you know, when it comes to reports, like in my opinion this is the reason that Flores got fired. Pat Flaherty, Dave D, Steve Marshall, Chad O'Shea, Chan Gailey, Marion Hobby, Pat Graham. Heck, even media relations employee, Matt Taylor. Kenny right. Stills, Minka, Van Noy, Kenyon Drake, Flowers. Kenley, he's still on the team. But I mean, does, has, when's the last time anybody seen Kenley? Right. You know, that's the issue. And And I joke with, look, Because I I recently had this situation. I had a job, my regular job, and I had absolutely just devilish supervisors who made everybody's life heck. And one by one, you start seeing people leave. And so I left and I went to a new company. At this new company, I'm sitting there after three months and I'm looking around. I'm the most senior person there. Because guess what? Those supervisors are awful too. And I found out my old job that I left. Those those supervisors had left and there were new ones. So I went back. And mm-hmm. it comes to here, it go, comes back to that many offensive line coaches, that many offensive coordinators, heck, even defensive line people, okay, players, everybody leaving. It's, it's one of those situations that rarely comes up in football. Most of the time, football is football. But this is like the HR you know, nobody wants to be here type situations. And I think that that's what did Brian Flores in. And I think when, or if he figures that out, he's, he could be an absolute heck of a coach.
0: Yeah. I'm, I, I agree with you overall. I, I think the, like my thing, I, I I guess I could just talk about like, from my perspective, like, you know, I, I, how, how do I say this? I'm trying to figure out the right way to put my words together. Like with Flores, you know, I always am skeptical over people from that New England type of tree, right? Because um, I don't know, like, again, if, if why this is a scenario where the Matt Patricia's, the Josh McDaniels, the Brian Flores when they get jobs, this is always how it ends I mean people talked about Josh McDaniels when he left the fact that they couldn't stand him Um, same thing with Matt Patricia now with Brian Flores and so I'm always skeptical from a personality standpoint of whenever we get New England coaches in the NFL in general Um, and while I do again I'm similar to you where like I I think a lot of the reason why Stephen Ross made this decision and we also I want to get into like Chris Greer and kind of his situation but I think Stephen Ross looked at it from the perspective of what has happened in the past and I personally because of those decisions like you said the Jesse Davis's the inability to build the staff the burning bridges in relationships and stuff I think personally, he saw what happened with Adam Gase in his last year, Joe Philbin, you know, a little bit. And I think he lost trust in Brian Flores's ability to create and visualize the ideal team because a lot of relationships like with Xavier Howard, with wide receivers, with certain tight ends, those bridges were going to be burnt regardless of like X's and O's on the field. And then on top of that, when it does come to Tua to we uh, aside from his feelings about Tua, whether he liked him or not, I just feel that Stephen Ross felt moving forward, I don't know if I can trust the future of this team with this man, because I don't trust the decisions that I have seen the last three years. The five offensive coordinators, the horrible offensive line like I'm sorry if you think that Jesse Davis is the best person to put it right tackle for 17 weeks of the season I I question again how if 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 that's what you think how can I expect you to um evaluate the quarterback position the proper way how can I expect you to fix the offensive line right and I think again like you said those are more so the factors that got him fired I think him being a a a-hole right behind the scenes like yeah of course you don't want to work with that but I think Stephen Ross looked at it and said look not only are you an a-hole but you can't even like fix this mess and you look at 2022 and ahead right because I'm going to have you on the podcast we're going to talk about it the main things that need to get fixed on this team I, I understand that you know you may not think the defense is as Great as people may think from a just pure talent standpoint. but point is, a lot of the issues are going to be on offense. And if I'm Stephen Ross and I'm looking at it over a three year window, how can I realistically, because we all feel the exact same way, how can I realistically expect this man to fix it, right? Because he's about to have the most cap space in the NFL. He's about to have three first round picks in the next two years. I don't want you to waste that because you've wasted it for the past three years and you haven't done anything offensively. And so as for me, as an owner, I can't trust you to fix it. And this is a big problem I had. I made a podcast episode when we went one in seven, or I think we were like one in five at the time or something. And I said, the biggest thing that scares me as a dolphin fan is not the ability to fix the issues on the offensive line or the wide receivers or even quarterback or running back. My issue is not that we don't have the resources to do it. My issue is even if you had double the cap space, even if you had double the draft picks, we just went through two drafts where we had three picks in the first round and then two picks in the second, and then two picks in the first and two in the second. We had the most cap space heading into 2020. And this is the product on offense that we have. So that was a big concern for me is the same thing I think Stephen Ross thought. Like, I and again, we'll get into it. How much does Greer have to play into this? But I know that Brian Flores and Chris Greer both signed off on every draft pick. No person was selected to this team that either guy didn't want. Like it, it, they, ha- they both signed off on everything, so the rumors of like Brian Flores not wanting to, like Brian Flores signed off on Tua. Brian Flores signed off on everyone. The good picks, you have to give credit to both guys. The bad picks, you have to give credit to both guys. They both signed off on them. And the reality, in my opinion, is Chris Greer. We all know this. I think is more of a yes man. He doesn't really have the the balls really to make those picks himself. I think that's a reason he stayed around so long. Um, if we're going to get into that. And so I think Steven Ross is like, let's get a guy in here who we trust more with the offense, because at the end of the day, Chris Greer, most likely, whether it's good or bad, whether you like it or not, if, if, you know, say a Jim Caldwell, let's just use his name. Say he comes in here and he's like, I don't want to, I don't think he's good. Chris Greer is not going to say, well, I do, right. He's going to say, okay, He's going to, that that's the type of guy Chris Greer is. That's how he's stayed around so long for good or for bad, for better or for worse. That's who he is. And so I think Stephen Ross looking at it is just looking at Brian Flores and saying, I don't know if I can, I don't trust you to fix this team because there are major, major issues offensively that we have. And I don't trust you to fix them. And on top of that, maybe if you were a nicer guy, I'll give you another chance but no, not a lot of people like working with you. Like there, I know there are, it's not everyone on the team, but you've rubbed a lot of people on the team the wrong way. I've seen players lead this team. I flew out to talk to Minka Fitzpatrick and he was like, sorry, dude, I I appreciate you flying out, but I don't want to be on this team anymore. I've lost players because of you and you haven't fixed the offense for three years. So for those reasons, you know, see you later.
1: I agree. I mean, and you know, my statement on Greer, I mean, I'm more interested in, in you know, the Tua and the coaches, but I mean, short sure, I, Look, I, I think Greer is equally responsible. Um, I think it would have been better if you would have done a clean sweep um, yeah, then... and, started, and, and started fresh. And then the last thing I'll just add is, is when it comes to the defense, you know, we talk about the major problems on offense. I just point out Look, I, I'm not saying that it will, but I'm just telling people: when Brian Flores was not calling plays weeks one through seven, how did that defense look? It looked poor. Oh, and I, I it was, and the players were saying, "Why aren't we doing the stuff from last year?" And, and they they verbally said that in in press conferences. So my thing is is you get a new coach in here. My thing is is they've shown that they are really good when they're using cover zero concepts or faking cover zero concepts. Outside of that, this defense has been very mediocre at best and poor at worst.
0: Well, I, I think personally, what I, I tend to believe, again, this isn't just me saying what I would want. I'm just saying, I tend to believe the next coach will be an offensive minded head coach But if that happens, his biggest hire, whoever that person may be, is going to be who he figures out to coach that defense. Because the last thing you want is while you're trying to rebuild this defense and chances are this, or while you're trying to rebuild the offense, chances are, it's not going to become, you know, elite next year. in one year that's, that's going to that that's a reality that I think we should all expect is that, you know, it's not just magically overnight going to be the Kansas state chiefs offense, but he needs someone to help maintain that defense to the best of its ability. Because if you lose that man, you are heavily relying on this offense. And I guess we can lead this now into with Tua staying or not. I personally feel again, if Tua stays, and you do not have that elite defense to keep games close. And you're expecting this guy to go out, at least the way things are now. I'm not, you know, he could improve. Uh, it, uh, that can happen. Okay. I'm just saying from my belief, you better fix out that effect or figure out the defense and how to maintain some sort of level of competitiveness. Because I don't trust right now this offense. And I won't trust it until probably the end of next season. If they prove they can be good to included. I don't trust you as an offense to go out there and compete games on your own because every game we asked the offense to this year, correct me if I'm wrong, any game we asked the offense when the defense was not capable, like in those first seven weeks or first eight weeks, anytime we needed the offense to go out there and be dominant, it did not happen. We only started winning games when the offense maintained some level of okayness And the defense was shutting people out like they did last year. So this new head coach needs to not only figure out a way to fix the offense, but he has a lot of pressure, especially if he keeps Tua to make sure that the defense is somewhat competent or, you know, at least top half of the NFL next year.
1: Yeah, I agree. I
0: agree. Because again, like, and, and we can lead this, I, I think I'm trying to think when it was, I want to say after the Tennessee game, I think after the Tennessee game, to be honest, any fan, no matter if you've supported to in the past, no matter what I remember, just I, the game stopped. It, the game was over and I was sitting in the living room. I was watching it and I just kind of sat there and like stared off and just like the that's when it hit me, like, there are major concerns I have for Tua, especially after that game. And I think you messaged me, and you were like, hey, man, like, this isn't, like, I'm not even joking here. I have major concerns about Tua. Like, it's not me saying that to be a troll. Like, and and honestly, you can't even say that publicly, or apparently you get, like, banned from Twitter if you just say, like, you have concerns about Tua. But I went on the podcast, and I was like, yo, everyone on here knows I've been a supporter of Tua. I I haven't ever said he's elite, but I've always been like, give this guy a chance to heal. Let's see how he is in his second year. Give him time. But after that Tennessee game, man, and I know you were there and you can talk about just like what it left you feeling, but like there were plays. I mean, dude, you you have a 10 yard pass to Mac Hollins. You're rolling out. There's no one there and you can't even complete it. The ball falls short by like three yards. And and it, I understand like people are going to talk about the game plan and how, you know, the game plan was horrible, which it was, but the reality is your quarterback should look better than that regardless, because if Ryan Tannehill or if someone like a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes now saying, you know, he needs to be that elite right now, but if you trot them out there and you have a bad game plan on offense, they're going to look better than that. They don't, obviously you're going to lose the game. Maybe if you don't have the best game plan, but I left that game where I was like, man, I mean, you're in the AFC. If you can't play in cold weather, you're screwed because not every team plays in Miami. Your whole division plays up North. Okay. Any team right now that has a home game, I think is like up North right now. Tennessee's the number one seed, Kansas city, um, Cleveland or, uh, Cleveland, Cincinnati. Um, the Buffalo Bills, like you gotta, you gotta be able to play in cold weather. And, you know, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. I'll stop talking. But like, I think that game for everyone was just like an eye opener of, wow, this is concerning to have this happen with our young supposed franchise quarterback.
1: Yeah. And and I want to just pose this. First of all, when we go, when when we talk about Tua overall, I don't weigh my overall on the Tennessee game. I, I, I want to, there's a, there's Correct. a differentiation there, but like the Tennessee game, yeah, I was there. Um, it was about 34 degrees the entire game and about six mile per hour. Um, and to be honest with you, it, it, it rained, but, and I, I coached and my daughter who's eight played in multiple U10 soccer games where it was raining 10 times harder than it was at the state. Okay, like it, it this is the, the how, yeah, it how bad it like was
0: raining. <laughs> like it, like it came. Yeah.
1: Well, see, it, it never poured. Like it spit the type, like if you're driving about every five minutes, you got to turn your windshield wipers on once and then turn them back off. And then right. five minutes later, that's what it did the whole game. Like it never once just came down. Never. Okay, um, I sat there for the poncho. And and I was in the highest portion of the stadium that you could possibly be in. Right, so you knew we it were was... taking pictures. Yeah, I mean there. <laughs> um, so look, thirty four degrees. I mean, look, that's cold for Miami. I get it. Okay, but I mean, we're not talking about twelve degrees, you know, or or twenty degrees in a wind chill of this. I mean, You're not
0: playing in Green Bay. No.
1: Um, and I left that game. You know, theoretically, want to jump off a cliff. Like, I mean, it, it was abysmal. Um, um, I mean, it, it was absolutely awful, and, and I think I had a Miami Dolphin fan behind me, and I, and I think I did say at one point, I was like, man, if Bruce, Brissett wasn't the backup, I mean, I'd be telling him to put the backup in. I mean, it was bad, back. yeah, like like awful, man. You know, you mentioned the Matt Collins pass, but more vivid in my in, uh, memory was that they had the ball in like the two or three yard line, their own two or three yard line, and is in the pocket, and he rolls out and tries to throw a pass. I think it was to a running back um, who was about seven yards away and hit him in the feet. Yeah. I mean, like, it happened multiple times that game. And then the fumble, one right after another, it, it was absolutely atrocious. I mean, nothing you could say. Like, I, I don't understand how anybody, no matter how much you love the guy, could say anything positive about that performance. It's I mean, and- Nothing.
0: And a thing is too, and I I forget who I heard this from. It was someone that I listened to and uh, I I respect them. I think it might've been, I want to say maybe it was big O. And I think he talked about like those passes and he's like, if you look at it, he didn't set his feet right. And here's my thing. Like I understand sometimes if you want to say like, he's making a difficult pass, but I'm sorry. In 2022, if you can't throw a 10 yard pass, regardless of your feet being set or not like i'm sorry i i'm not even a quarterback I, if i went out there right now i could complete a, a like i don't know if you've seen 10 yards it's not for viewers out there like 10 yards is not that far it's like 30 feet it's really not that far if you can't roll out and it wasn't even 10 it was probably like seven so if you can't throw the ball 20 feet regardless of how you're standing like that's my thing is yeah if you want to say he's completing like a 50 yard pass and his feet weren't set. And so it went a little short or it wasn't accurate. Okay. We'll talk about that. But in that pass, I'm like, first of all, I didn't, I didn't think he wasn't set. There was no reason for him not to be set. There was no one around him. He was rolling out and he w- he had time and space, but like, again, what, what are we talking about here? Your quarterback can't throw seven yards if his, if his feet, if his hips aren't aligned the right way. I thought that's what he's supposed to be good at, right? That's what we've talked about is, yeah, his, his arm may not be the strongest, but like, or he might not be the most mobile guy or the fastest guy, but he has good mechanics. He always has his hips, his shoulders lined up in the right place. So if he's not doing that.
1: Well, let me, let me ask you, because I think this starts the larger debate to transition into the, the overall body of work. Tua okay I think that we could both and I'm assuming and I'll I'll give you a chance to say yes or no I -hmm. think we could both stipulate that we think that we feel good about Tua's pocket presence is is that fair to say oh yeah okay all right so we we feel feel good good. yeah we feel good about that now (laughs) I'm gonna give you some categories okay and you tell me like you know which ones you feel hey, Tua is good, okay. Uh, okay? I feel good about it, okay? And, and you, you don't have to tell me each individually. We can go through, no, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to list them off. You tell me which ones you think better, RPO or non-RPO, okay? And then, break it, and then break it down as far as depth of pass of deep passes, intermediate passes, and short passes. Tell me, you know, where, you know, ranking those top to bottom of where you feel the most comfortable... I think Tua is really good in these.
0: In the RPO?
1: Okay.
0: In the R. well, I feel more comfortable when he's in the RPO, but when he's in the RPO, I mean, let's just call it, it's typically just a two- or three-yard-out route to Mike Kosicki or a slant to Devontae Parker.
1: Okay, well, let me give you this. RPO is QB rates 108, 108.7 actually, okay. 81%. Completion percentage
0: yeah.
1: is yards per attempt 9.4. Non RPO QB rates 83.5. Okay. And he's a 63% completion passer. And his yards per attempt is 6.1. Hmm. So, you know, here's my thing coming out of college. I heard, oh, Tua's the best RPO, RPO, and he's an RPO only. And I would have told you, no, I, I wouldn't agree with that. But every statistic you're looking at now, I'm going to be honest with you, we can sugarcoat it or whatever. Tua doesn't have really any positive stats outside of RPO, period.
0: I know, and that's, again, like that. that's – that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying he's like, there's, there's things you could say about too, that like obviously pocket presence. I mean, the fact that he wasn't the mass, the most sacked quarterback last year is, is shocking because our offensive line, I mean, I, I think I joked around with you. I said the offensive line made me want to quit watching football, not just dolphins. Like it made me want to quit watching or like thinking about football. It's that bad. And I am being dramatic, but like, not at the same time. Um, but there's things that like Tua does well. But that's my thing is like, I understand that the RPO is impressive, but like, or, or the RPO can be, you know, impressive because you can dice up a defense. But like at the same time, you know, like I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I'm not the RPO master. I didn't watch Tua every game, in Alabama like you did. So I didn't see the RPO concept they ran there versus here. But like the thing about the RPO is, yes, it's efficient, right? And we could talk about like completion percentage, but at the end of the day, like there's nothing like that's like, wow, this is elite or impressive when he's in the RPO because it's always a little out pass to Mike Isicki or something like a slant to Devonte Parker where, you know, and I understand that's what it's meant to do because it's supposed to be quick, at the ball out quick. But like, my thing is if, if, if what your elite is in if what you are elite in is, you know, quick slants and little out passes to Mike Kosicki, that's where, like, it does concern me because good teams like the Tennessee Titans figure that out. And you aren't able to improvise and win the ball down the field when you don't have the RPO in those cold weather games. And that's, again, when I watched the game, I was like, okay, I understand you're really good at you know, knowing when to run or when to pass in the RPO system. I know that you're accurate and I know you have, you know, your slants and your out routes to Mike Kosicki and your little shallow crossers, but like, I need to see something or someone as a quarterback that doesn't just rely on those quick passes. Like at, at some point you have to be able to consistently win those 15 to 20 yard passes. And more often than not, every time that happens, he's sailing it and it's getting cool. intercepted or near intercepted
1: all right so let's go to depth where where do you feel the most comfortable and the least comfortable deep intermediate or short with two
0: let's see i feel least comfortable intermediate i think deep yeah. passing deep passing is one of those things where like i don't think i won't like i i don't know i uh, I'm I'm probably going to be completely wrong in all these, but deep passing is one of those for me, like it's more so a lack of attempts there, but most of the time when he does do deep passes, like they seem to work. I mean, they're 50-50 balls or stuff like that, but I wouldn't say deep is his weakest. I would say in order of weakest to strongest, intermediates is weakest, then deep, then short would be my guess. Okay,
1: so let, let's start here. Intermediate, he is 51%, five TDs, six interceptions, and he's 32nd in the NFL in completion percentage um, in intermediate passing. Is that his worst? Yes, it is absolutely his worst. He is atrocious intermediate. And here's the funny part. He was 42% completion intermediate last year. So he's actually improved 9% and is still 32nd in the NFL. Yikes. Okay, so, all right, so deep passes. Deep passes, you you hit the nail on the head. He's actually third in the NFL. Do you know who the first two are?
0: Oh, if I had to guess, I know. People are going to get triggered. It's one of them Justin Herbert?
1: Justin Herbert is a more accurate deep ball passer. He is second and Kyler Murray is first and Herbert throws and you mentioned the lack of attempts Murray throws a deep ball 14.8 percent of his passes which is just a ridiculous amount Herbert throws it you know deep passes 9.5 percent of the time he throws passes two is one of the lowest in the NFL at 7.5 and I'm not saying that as a knock on to a we know he has limitations with the offensive line um, right, right. but so, yeah. so deep ball, you know, he's, he's good. So
0: I've said that again, to people who say, and also real quick, I didn't mean to cut you off, but when people talk about arm strength, I don't, I don't really get into or care about your ability to ability, not how often you do it. Cause that is important, you know, try stretch a defense or what your offensive line allows but like the thing with two is whenever I'm like people talking about how far he can throw it. I'm like, the dude could throw a ball 40 yards at 13 years old. The problem I have when I say arm strength, isn't his ability to complete or throw deep balls. It's, Hey, can you throw a 20 yard out route or a comeback? Cause I've never seen two a throw a comeback in my life. I don't, I, I, at least in Miami, maybe like once. And it's those intermediate passes again, when you got to get some oomph on him. but you know, I, I guess it's nice to be reassured where I was like, I don't think deep passing. He's like awful people use that as a knock against him. Cause they think deep passing is what arm strength is. But I mean like velocity in your throws and stuff, but yeah, deep passing, he's not like awful. It's just, I mean, the offensive line doesn't help him. And then whether it's his, his um, willingness to make the throw, right. I don't know how much that factors into it, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm not shocked by, Those two at all. I'm curious what his short is like. What short? Yeah.
1: So everybody makes this thing like short passes is like Tua's bread and butter. Like he's accurate and just super, you know, accurate. Well, here's the thing: short passing completion percentage. Tua is 15th in the NFL, and that's his bread and butter. Okay. You want to you want to know like where he falls on the list. Here's here's the players right ahead of Tua, in completion percentage, short passes. Mac Jones, Lamar Jackson, Jared Goff, Joe Burrow, then Tua. And just for clarification, you realize Mac Jones throws. Less short passes than two of does. Mm. Everybody cracks on Mac for you know check down all he throws is three yard passes. Well, if you're gonna say that, you better get on Tua because he throws short passes more than Mac Jones does. And Mac Jones is more accurate than Tua on short passes. So here's the concerning part to me: is your bread and butter, you're right behind Jared Goff, Mac Jones, and, and and Burrow and and everybody and it's 15th, you know, in the NFL. And I mean, and that's the bread and butter. And the problem is, is look, I can live with you being 15th and short, but you can't be 32nd intermediate passing. I mean, you you realize third and 12, you might as well punt. I mean,
0: and that and that's exactly you, you listen to I had to shut the announcers off on certain games, but early on when they were like, you know, I think it was in the Tennessee game, they were talking with Mike Vrabel as if, you know, also as if like every defensive coordinator, every coach doesn't try to do this, but he was like with this team specifically, if we can get them in third and longs and not these third and fours, which yes, every coach tries to do that. But yeah, with a, with a quarterback like Tua where, you know, he struggles in that intermediate range, like, you know, it, it, it's true. Like if you can, if the dolphins are held to like third and nine, third, even third and eight, I'll say like third, seven, third and eight. Like if we're held to that, it's hard because how many times have we seen an RPO concept or he throws one over the middle to Kasiki or, or, or Devante and he either just sails it or it's not accurate or there's not enough oomph and it gets almost picked off. Like that's, again, that's when I talk about arm strength. That's what I care about more. Like, I don't care about, your ability to throw the ball 70 or 80 yards. Like that doesn't apply to a game. What applies to a game is, hey, can you throw this, you know, 15-yard out route or a 20-yard comeback with umph and not just anticipation, which he, you know, has and stuff. But it's those type of passes that show up in a game like against the Tennessee Titans where you're constantly in third and seven, third and eight.
1: Well, my biggest issue is, is the fact that, you know, when you're 32nd, and intermediate passing, you have more interceptions and touchdowns, and and on top of that, the thing that makes it even scarier is is he jumped nine percent from year one to year two. Like I know people will think that is a positive, but how likely is it for you to jump another nine percent? You know this offseason? Right. like I just don't think projections like you're going to go up two hundred percent. You know what I mean? In year three from year one, I, I just don't see that, and then. Like the issue is, is that people say that, well, if you give to an offensive line, if you give to a time to throw, you know, he's going to be amazing. And here's the thing. I'm not saying that he won't, but he's, my thing is is he's had that and they've been his worst games.
0: Yeah. I was just about to say, can I say, and this may be a hot take, I like. I don't know if I've ever said this about a quarterback, whether he's Dolphins or not. When Tua has time, I get scared because, like, there were again, like, the Saints game. Was it the Saints game where Waddles wide open over the middle and he has time and he tries to get cute with it and throws Mm -hmm. a pick over the middle to Mac Jones? Like, there have been multiple time after time where you know, obviously, and here's the thing that kind of upsets me when we talk about like Tua and this isn't an a thing. There's more of a fan thing. We act like with two, it's any different than any other quarterback. Like, of course, if every quarterback, if you gave all quarterbacks a top five or top 10 offensive line, yeah, like two is going to be better if you give him all these weapons and the running back and all of these offensive line, like, yeah, he's gonna be better. And and I'm I'm not saying that you can't win games or I'm not even saying that two sucks. Like you'll never hear me say that. I'm just saying what concerns me is and especially concerned me with Brian Flores, can they even do that, right? Can you do what is necessary to get the most out of Tua? Because to think that, like, if you just give him a great offensive line, he's top five, that's – that's I, at least, again, I, I never say never, oh. but that, I don't think that's true. But, you know, like, the thing that concerns me is, again, when I saw him have a good pocket protection or a good – a clean pocket, which was rare – but when he did have it, it was it didn't give me any more confidence. In fact, most of his bad plays came when he had time to think about what he was doing. And, well,
1: and... look, you're you're perfectly right. Look, the three the three games were two I had the most time to throw. Okay, let's let's start in order. Tennessee, he had two point eight one seconds time to throw, and uh, I mean, look, two hundred five yards and interception, eighteen of thirty eight passing. Okay, The next game he had the, the, the most time to throw, the New York Jets game. He went, what, 16 of 27 for 196, two, TD, two TDs, two interceptions. And then the next one, New England. He had 2.67 seconds, 15 of 22 for 109 yards, five point yard, 5.0 yards per attempt. I mean, those three games, he had time. And, and to point out, look, Duke Johnson had two 100-yard games this season. The games he had 100 yards, Tua struggled in.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, I mean, those are – look, I'm, I'm not saying any of this to say they should move on for Tua. Tua's not any good. Oh, I know. I'm not saying, you know, any of that. I'm saying that all these fantasies of, well, if you just give him an offensive line, you know, he'll be great. And then I, And I've heard, you know, look, if he could just – you know, we don't have to have a top 10 offensive line if we can have a top you know, 20 offensive line look the jets game he was pressured the 13th least in the nfl oh i w- i was one of those I, many, I mean that
0: again it was games like that and really this season where before the season i was saying those things i was like of course i you know that that's me just assuming which is you know you know what the saying is but you know, I was one of those people give him a good offensive line and you're going to see a better Tua. Obviously I didn't, I'm not saying that's only Tua, but you know, after this season, you know, I'm going to say, yeah, give him a better offensive line and yeah, you'll probably see better, but issues are going to remain that are there with, with the offensive line or not. He's just going to have more time to, and here's the thing I think, and this may be a theory of mine. Just It's not like, it's just speculation. When he has more time, like, I think deep down inside, he wants to prove people wrong that, hey, man, I can throw these big passes and these big time throws and these deep passes. And I think what happens is he'll be wide open or, or he'll have a clean pocket, like against the Saints game, for instance, let's stay on that when he threw the pick to Matt Collins. He, ha- he, when, when he gets in those situations, it's almost like everything he knows about playing quarterback gets thrown out. And he's just like, I'm trying to make a big time play to prove people wrong or to prove whatever wrong, or just to show people that I can do it. Cause he hears it. And I think he just forgets to go through reads. And honestly, I will say this, I will say this about the offensive line towards two of And I forget who said this. I want to say maybe it was Lewis Riddick or someone like that, where they said, if you draft a quarterback, but you don't give them the proper offensive line, you are not only putting them at risk for injury, but you are not allowing them the time or the development to progress through their reads. And what I mean by that is, and I think, again, you're seeing it when two gets time is, it's almost like he doesn't know what to do. And I don't say that to be funny. I say that realistically where he's like, Oh my God, I have time in the pocket. I'm not used to just throwing to my first person. So now I, 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 I'm, I'm, I know that Jalen Waddle's wide open and technically my progression should lead me there, but I don't have this, uh, this kind of time a lot. So I'm just going to throw this pass, even though it's a stupid pass to Matt Collins where you know, they say it was communication, but you know, again, I'm not, I'm just speculating on the fact that he had a guy wide open. I think again, the fact that he's never had one not to create excuses for him, but that's why people like you have said, you have to give him an offensive line when he's young, because he needs to learn what it's like to play with one. Cause I know it may sound hunky, like, you know, sunshine and rainbows to have a good offensive line, but like I don't know if he knows how to read a D de- or per- like go through his progressions. Cause he's never had to on this offensive line. It's if your first reads not wide open, if you're not sacked already, which you probably are start creating time and throw maybe to like Jalen Waddle. That's basically been this offense. And I think when he's given time, he literally like quite honestly, I'm not even joking. Like he doesn't know what to do. He's like, Oh my God, I have all this time. And he forgets to go through his reads and he just tries to, Make that big time throw even though it's not open.
1: Well, this is the last you know, rant I'm gonna go on to is like when you look 30% of his passes this season, he has had 2.5 seconds removed. 30%. Okay, on those passes, he's 56% completion percentage. And he's thrown seven interceptions. Okay. On and he's got a QB rate of 72. When on um, when he's throwing under 60 seconds or under excuse me, under 2.5 seconds, it goes from 56 to 72 percent completion percentage. That's wild. Three three interceptions to seven. So three interceptions when it's under 2.5 seconds, and his QB rate is up to 97.9. So the numbers show. Tua has had time, a lot more time than people want to say, okay? A lot more time than people want to say. And I got asked this the other day, um, and, and and I'm finishing up this this rant. Somebody asked me the other day, um, hey, what has what Jonah Williams done this year? Okay, great tackle. You realize Jonah, Jonah Williams has given up eight sacks this year? Eight. You know how many limbs given up? Nine. You know how many Jesse Davis has given up? Eight. Okay. John Williams, 42 pressures this, this season. Okay. You know how, and that's compared to 62 and and 49 that's Liam and AJ. So my thing is, is like the difference and didn't John Williams just get all pro. Yeah. Okay. So you got an all pro who's got what? 15 less 15, 20 less pressures. So you divide that by 16 games. That's about what? (laughs) One less pressure a game? Pressure a game, not much. Okay? And the same number of sacks as our two tackles. Okay? So, you know, that's the – you know, the, the difference between all pro Jonah Williams and what we had is not that big. Now, I'm not saying that to say that the offensive line is good, though. Don't anybody quote me on that. The offensive line is atrocious. Oh, yeah. I'm just trying to show the, the difference in good and great in the NFL. Oftentimes, it, there's not that big of a difference. Um. And then I'll say this about Tua. Look, I was fair. I did not count the Buffalo Bills game where he was knocked out. And I did not count the Baltimore Ravens game where he came in at halftime. I counted every other game. You know the number of times Tua threw for 205 or less yards? Six. You know how many times he threw for 250 or more? Four. Okay. And without those two games, the Baltimore, because he only played a half and Baltimore or in the, the Bills game, he only played, you know, two series. He averaged 33 attempts a game. Like that is plenty of attempts. Right. And you tell me that you've got more games under 205 yards than, 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 than over 205 yards.
0: Oh, I said, I said, um, when was it? I think, I think it was after the Tennessee game. I was like, if it weren't for the garbage time passes to Tennessee, it would have been three games in a row where he was under, what was it? Under 200. I think he got yeah. 200 um, because of like garbage time throwing, which it was. Cause it was like, we were, de- we were getting destroyed. It didn't even matter. But like, I'm sorry. Again, I don't care. I'm not, I'm not saying that like two is the, the worst thing ever, the best thing ever anything like that. But like, in today's NFL, there is absolute, unless you're playing the Mac Jones, I'm only going to throw three balls today because it's super windy, or you're playing in crazy conditions and you can allow it. I don't even know how it's, or if your defense is like going out there and just, you have already won the game by the end of the first quarter. I don't understand how like, you know, again, I would look at his numbers sometimes and I'd be like, I'm watching the game. And man, it really feels like he's thrown for more than this. But how is he only at like, like what was it against the Patriots? I, I forget how many total yards, but I think I looked at it at like halftime or maybe before and it was like only 90 something yards. And I was like, I understand it's the Patriots, but like I, it's just there would be certain games where I'm like, you have to be able to, to rely on your quarterback throwing more yards than this. There's just got to be, and and a lot of that comes from the fact that a lot of his attempts are short, you know. A lot of them are like those RPO where it's where it's those quick timing passes. But still, I mean, in today's NFL, you can't have uh, again in your ten game sample size, you can't have sick. You can't have more games under two hundred and five yards than than over. That's just
1: well, I understand. The Patriots it. game, the Patriots game you mentioned. Uh, I mean. He had 22 total attempts, and he finished
0: with 109 total yards. That's what I'm saying. I, when I looked at the stat sheet, I was like, that can't – because, again, the Patriots game, I was like, oh, okay, like, I know we won, It they said 33. It was it was closer because that was at the end. But I was like, man, we really seem to dominate them, and, like, Tua seemed to play, like, pretty well. And then I would look at, like, the stat sheet, and I'm like, wow. And, and I, well, I get the excuse that, like, you know, Duke Johnson ran for a lot, Look, there's tons of teams that post 100 yards. Like, I know 100-yard rusher is is a rarity in Miami. But, like, it's not – like, just because you have a 100-yard rusher doesn't mean your quarterback is going to throw for under, like, 200 yards. Like, there are teams that consistently have 280, 300 yards passing and damn near close to 100 yards rushing. Like, it's not like, oh, my running back runs for 100. I don't – like, you need to have, like, 300 yards of total offense at least – I mean, that's like, I would say if you're not getting it from your running, you have to get from passing. But like, I would think, am I wrong for saying if you're not getting 300 yards of offense every game, that's pretty lackluster?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. But...
0: And so, so again, like you look at that game and I understand like Duke Johnson had 100, what, 110, 15, 20 yards, something like that. But again, I mean, there's, I said this, if our quarter, or I shouldn't say this because it sounds like I'm like, I hate to, and I don't, and everyone that listens to the podcast, even you, like, you know, I don't hate to, it's more so me realizing and calling out like what I'm seeing is like, again, that game against new England, it shouldn't have even really been close. If I'm being completely honest, I know it's weird to say that against the new England team, but like there were multiple drives where the offense could do nothing. And I'm like, the fact that he won the game is shocking, but this game really shouldn't have even been close. Like when the Patriots were mounting their comeback or even against the Saints, you know, like the Saints game again, we knew that we were going to win the game because Ian Book, you know, was a starting quarterback. But there were times where I was like, this game is like 10 to three. And I know that we're winning, but like we should be like dominating because they're playing Ian Book or like against the... I'm like, why are you struggling right now? It's the Jets.
1: Well, the Buffalo game—I mean, Duke Johnson had a game, but you got to also remember the defense caused three turnovers and scored two touchdowns. I, I mean, <laughs> the the defense won the day um, yeah. in that game. And like you said, look, I, I want to make clear: look, I absolutely love Tua. Um, yeah,
0: that. that you know, yeah, I
1: mean, I've I've got his jersey. I drove and and sat in the rain, you know, at the at the Titans game and and, and watched the whole game. I mean, I love the guy. Um, but my thing is, is I'm not just going to sit here and tell you that, you know, everything is rainbows and butterflies, but, you know, before everybody thinks that, you know, we want, you know, to, a, you know, dead and buried. I mean, I'm interested in, and I, and I've got two hot topics to talk about. Um, but I'm interested in your taking the, in the, the, the coaching search, man.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So. I okay with the coaching I I I really let me just say this I go to bed every night and I don't I don't ask for much in life I really don't I, I'm a simple guy I don't ask for much I really and maybe you disagree with me on this can we not hire a first-time head coach like <laughs> I'm I here's the thing the definition of insanity is literally to do something the same way and expect different results. I'm sorry. And I sound like Omar Kelly when I say that. That's like Omar Kelly saying, he goes, I'm sorry. But I like how if you just saw three guys in a row Joe Philbin, Adam Gase, Brian Flores. Okay. Brian Flores, like again, a, a lot of issues that first time head coaches have can be personality wise because they just don't know. Okay, they they do. I know it may sound stupid. You don't know how to treat people, but when you get all that power, it can be overwhelming. Okay, that I I understand that. You want to know how you fix that? Get a guy who you know what you're going to get out of. Stop getting these guys where like I understand the hype with Mike McDaniel and and he, like uh, as an offensive mind and stuff. He's great. I understand that. I even have some coaches on. I would be okay with hiring them that are first time head coaches because of what i think they could do with the offense or with possibly getting watson if he's if his legal situation's cleared obviously if it's not to hell if if you could fix tua but god i really 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 don't want a first time head coach because you need to have a coach that one has established that he can build a staff right regardless of what that staff can be You need to know that he can build a staff that that is good, that people respect him. And also like the convenience that comes with a first time head or that with that comes with a coach who's been there, done that is he's not going to have the stupid mess ups that a first time head coach would have. And you can't afford that. You really can't. I'm sorry. You can't afford to have another head coach come in here and either a not know how to build a staff because he's never done it. B not have the credibility to get guys to build a staff or C not know how to actually be a head coach and how to treat people, what it takes to not just call plays, right? Not just to be in charge of one side of the football, but be in charge of three, right? You're in charge of offense, defense and special teams. And so for me with the head coaching search, I mean, it doesn't really matter what I think because it, it, nothing's going to happen based off of what I say. I just really hope that they learn from their mistakes and they, they go out and get a guy that has been there and done that because, I don't know, man, like there's only so many times. I'm trying to think of the last head coach. Maybe you would know this. The last head coach we've had who was actually a head coach. Saban? Like when, when was Saban here again? Like Saban was here, like in the early mid or like mid 2000s. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wasn't even a fan yet. Like I'm, I'm only 23 years old. I'm turning 24 this year. And I started becoming a fan in 2007. I've never seen a head coach. That's actually been a head coach before. So for me, well, you
1: had Cam Cameron. Okay. Um, Tony S- Sperano. He'd been a head Bulls. coach. No, I, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm looking at the list now because I don't go back that far.
0: And, and if Todd Bowles, I, mean, I don't Wilson. know.
1: And I, so I don't know about their the, – you know, what Cam, Cam – I don't even know what Cam Cameron's doing today for Tony Sperano. i, I I've blocked the – I don't the, know their history. but right like, out of my head. Yeah, the order – you had Saban, Cameron, Sperano, Bowles, Philbin, Campbell, Gase, and then Flores.
0: That's so – I. <sighs> But anyway, <laughs> sorry, I'm just yeah. like, I, I, when when you say those names, it's just like, wow. But like, here, here's the thing. At the end of the day, we don't know whether the next head coach, like we truly don't know. We can speculate whether they're not or whether they are going to succeed all we want. But if I'm Chris Greer, which I, I mean, I, I do think it's shocking he's still here because if you're going to clean house or if you're going to get rid of Brian Flores, like I could use just as many reasons to get rid of Greer. It may not be personality wise, but. I can use just as many reasons to get rid of him. But if he's going to be kept here, I would much rather be wrong, but I tried something new this time rather than say you hire a first-time head coach and it doesn't work out. Okay, well, you just hired a first-time head coach and you failed at that for the last like 15 years. So if I'm going to be wrong, at least let me say that I tried something different and I'm not saying that, you know, if that if he's the best candidate, if you feel he's the best candidate, but at the end of the day, if I find it hard to believe off the list that I've seen, which right now I meant to bring that up, we've interviewed Thomas, or we're going to interview Thomas Brown, who's the Rams running back coach, Brian Dable, Bill's offensive coordinator, Leslie Frazier, Bill's defensive coordinator, Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn, who are offensive and defensive coordinators, respectively for the Cowboys, Mike McDaniel. And I'm trying to think if there's one other name. I know there's one other name I'm missing. Um, Oh, uh, uh, Vance Joseph, dear God. Um, But like, again, I, I find it hard to believe that there's not like I would. I personally would rather have Doug Peterson, Jim Caldwell or a Dan Quinn over any one of those first time head coaches. And I know that may sound crazy because you think, you know, with Doug Peterson, the drama in Philly or like dan quinn with the super bowl but i'm sorry like i i need to see the dolphins go to a super bowl for me to complain about how a guy lost in the super bowl like yeah he lost and had 28 to 3 he went to a super bowl period so like for me i need i need someone who is not a first-time head coach um and the only person i can see if you're not going first-time head coach or if you're going first-time head coach excuse me the only person I could see is like, okay, I understood why you got them would probably be like, and I know this name has triggered some people, but Eric B because the only reason I could see you going out for a new head coach is if you don't want to Watson's legal situation clears and you feel like this guy can bring Watson here because that's who you want. But aside from that, go out and get the proven guy on offense um, and don't make the same mistake again.
1: My view is this, is I hate, uh, I hate retreads. Um, and one of the reasons why is college football is my love, okay, more than the NFL. And like, I don't know that I can name one college coach that's been fired for, for performance and then magically went somewhere else and was incredible. Um, you, you know, they have to take the demotion and work their way back up. But with that being said, I, I, you know, in this situation, I'm more of a retread guy than a first time because of the reasons you mentioned. Um, and I just want to talk about like Mike McDaniel for a second. Um, I think Mike McDaniel sounds, I mean, like a wizard. Okay, I mean, just absolutely sounds incredible with his knowledge. I also want to point out that it's probably a lot cooler and a lot easier to go to the press conference and be happy go lucky when you're not a head coach and it's not you're, not even, you're not even calling planes.
0: Right. At the end of the day, no okay. one's calling I mean, struggles, and thinking well, it's my you think All
1: you've got to do is draw planes. I mean, that's it. Um, but here's my thing I think Mike Daniel could possibly be a fantastic coach in the future. Agreed. Right now? Oh, gosh. I mean, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. And, like, somebody made a comment earlier. I, I made a post on Twitter. I put, he's never called plays before. And shout out to Devin, okay, whoever Devin is on Twitter. Um, he made a comment that said, good thing head coaches don't call plays. Well, here's the thing, Devin. Offensive coordinators do call plays except your guy, Mike McDaniel, yeah. okay? You could make the argument, Mike McDaniel's head coach doesn't even trust him to call plays. I mean, if he was that brilliant of a play caller, why wouldn't his head coach let him call plays? I mean, you're talking about a guy that's been an offensive coordinator for one year and every other, you know, year of experience he has is below the coordinator. one year experience as a coordinator and during that never called the place never and he's been attached to one man his entire career shanahan okay so is it more of shanahan or is it more of mcdaniel okay because how many people okay have you seen and I know there's one that is left. Like for example, people used to think Alabama's defense was phenomenal, so it was let me hire the Alabama defensive coordinator. Well, none of them have worked except for Kirby. Okay, I mean, you know, none of them. Right. Okay. Um, you know, so is it more Shanahan or is it more McDaniel? Okay.
0: That's what I said on my. That's what I said on my podcast, and I, I, when I talked about my top coaching candidates, is I was like, I do worry you know, with a, with a guy like him of, look, I worry with anyone that comes from a good offensive system. I understand like eventually every good coach was at once a first time head coach, but I always do worry because like the Kyle Shanahan system or the, the Shanahan system from Mike, his dad, like, how am I supposed to compliment? I understand like, yeah, he may be a visionary and he may be phenomenal. And I may be wrong in eating my words, But I'm just letting you know, I get worried because again, when I look at something like that, the last person on my mind that I think of, oh, you're the reason for the success is Mike McDaniel. It's the last person. Like when I look at the Shanahan system, I'm like, well, yeah, first of all, it's your dad's system. It's not even yours, but I understand you've tinkered with it a little, but like I I, I personally, again, I can't convince myself and I can't realistically get on a podcast and lie to people and say that. That doesn't bother me. Also, like Kellen Moore, that's another person. I don't get it. I'm confused. You wanted to fire Brian Flores and hand the keys over to the $3 billion franchise to a 33-year-old? I I don't know. I don't
1: that's finance. what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: Like I'm, I'm not saying he's not good. It's not me saying I don't think he will be a good head coach, but ain't no way. I mean, could you imagine the, the Dolphins are getting crapped on right now as it is? Could you imagine you fired Brian Flores, which not saying he was Don Shula, but you fired Brian Flores to hire a 33-year-old Kellen Moore. And I'm not even that impressed, to be honest. I I will say with Kellen Moore, I'm not that impressed. The Dallas offense is pretty vanilla. They have wide receivers galore. Their offensive line is phenomenal. Dax, really good. And they have Zeke Elliott, who's not as good as Pollard anymore, in my opinion, and Tony Pollard. Like, I mean, talk about a dream offense to work with. And even on top of that, their offense is kind of vanilla, in my opinion. It's nothing like groundbreaking. So no, I'm not going to hire a 33 year old to take over my franchise and expect him to know the ropes and build a good offensive staff. That's another thing. For me, the biggest thing I want in my head coach is the ability to build a good offensive or build a good staff in general, because Flores couldn't do it. So if you're going to move on from someone, you better make sure that the next guy can do what he couldn't do, right? That's relationships, that's jobs, you're moving on from someone or something you're hopefully going to someone or something that is better in, in areas that that person or that place lacked so if you're moving on from brian flores because he was an you know hard guy to work with he you know his personality issues he couldn't build an offensive staff or build a good staff in general well your next guy better be able to do those to a better capacity and i can't how can anyone look themselves in the mirror and say that someone like Kellen Moore or a Mike McDaniel, again, they may, I don't know, but how can you be confident that those guys are going to have more success doing it than your last guy?
1: Well, and people, I, I want to, you know, articulate this. I'm not saying a head coach, I don't want my head coach necessarily calling plays, but calling plays is a measurable area where we can see how successful someone is who hasn't been a head coach so when you talk about Mike McDaniel we don't even have like we don't have anything to contribute that is measurable on his effect on any offense ever because there's there's nothing to measure it against because Shanahan is calling the plays and look, I think that he sounds phenomenal, and I think that he's got the potential to be a fantastic coach. I think he's too; he's not ready yet. Let me ask you: How many other teams have requested interviewing?
0: Oh, I, I've, I've thought that again. Like, I sometimes I look at who we've interviewed, and I'm like, they're not getting any other. And here's the thing: A bunch of people say, "Well, he's loved in in San Francisco." There's a diff. Like, we are not saying right now, like James and I, that this guy isn't good at what he does, whatever whatever he's doing, or that the dude won't be a good head coach or that the dude isn't smart. What we're saying is like, again, we've clearly seen Brian Flores as a defensive coordinator. If you just want to talk about him calling plays, defensive mind, yeah, like dude, dude is phenomenal. But there's more to being a head coach than calling plays on your side of the ball, which he's not doing, Mike McDaniel. But what I'm saying is like, Again, like I, I, you know, it's when I view this person as a head coach, like, yeah, obviously what I want Mike McDaniel doing what he's doing now on the Dolphins, for sure, I, I would love that. Of course, people like George Kittle are going to vouch and say, this dude is awesome to work with. But when you're a head coach, it's different. You can't, you can't act the way you do when you're an offensive coordinator. You can't act the way you do when you're not calling plays and the responsibility's on you. or or not on you you can't walk into meetings and you're not just going to have that same happy-go-lucky friendly attitude when you're an offensive coordinator not even calling plays because now as a head coach not only you're dealing with roster management not only are you interacting with the owner and the general manager on a daily basis not only are you doing all that but you're also figuring out personal relationships with 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 players you're trying to build a, a a a good relationship with the whole entire staff, you're trying to manage player life, right? Their issues, because being a head coach, again, it's not all X's and O's on the football field. You're having to deal with issues of players and their, their parents and their girlfriends and their fiancés and all this other stuff. And again, if I'm going to be proven wrong, I am I want to be proven wrong because I I put that responsibility in the hands of someone who's done it rather than a 38-year-old Mike McDaniel or, like, a 33-year-old Kellen Moore. Just my opinion.
1: Yeah, I agree agree with you. I I mean, like I said, I I think he may be true. You know, fantastic. I think he needs to shoulder some more responsibility and gain some more experience with said responsibility before I'd be comfortable with him.
0: Yeah, and not only do I I think that he – will be a good head coach or or not only am I saying like he may be, I think he will be. I will say that. Like I think eventually down the road, like Mike McDaniel, I think he will be a good head coach. But again, it's not that it's the wrong person. It's just the, it might be not the right time, right? It could be right person, wrong time. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't always yeah. have to be this guy's not good. It just might be, you know, that, 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 that's not the right time. So Anyway, man, I appreciate you coming on. Really do. Uh, I think we had a really good discussion, and, you know, we'll see how it plays out in the next couple of weeks. But I'll I'll have you on again when we make the head coaching change. That way we can talk about that and then, like, you know, what you want to see from this offseason for us as a team.
1: Absolutely, man. Can't wait. I mean, it's going to be an interesting with the head coach, um, and then we'll have free agency right around the corner.
0: This could be a potential to, again – change it in a very positive way but it could also be a potential to just continue the mediocrity so we'll see i really hope it's the former rather than the latter but it's the Dolphins, so you never know (laughs) you never know but anyway man stay safe take care really appreciate your time
1: all right man be good see ya